Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I am joined today by Jonas Crossland, our property writer. How are you doing, Jonas? Fine, thanks. Good. Uh, Ian Smith, the deputy companies editor. How are you doing, Ian? I'm spectacular. How are you doing, John? I'm all right. And over in the uh, control room, Graham Davis. Hello, John. Hello. And Dominic Toms. Hello. Yeah, Dom, I've, uh, I've been told uh, by uh, one listener that we want to hear more from you, so uh, <laughs> I'll bring you in at some point. Tottenham Hotspur related oh, questions. <laughs> okay. Um, right. So this weekend, it's a spectacular weekend of sport. The Ashes, uh, the Open is going on. Um, but but I know all you diehard investment fans will be uh, shunning that for our spectacular podcast instead, where, where all the action happens. And of course, this week, you know, there, there has been uh, lots lots of action uh, on the stock market, as, as usual. Uh, Greece, we thought it was all over. It isn't. No. <laughs> or is it? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't keep know. Up. <laughs> Uh, I think it is now. The, the, the Greek Parliament voted, didn't they, in favour of the latest bailout conditions? By yeah. The, Did you see there was a very stormy session in Parliament over there yesterday? It all kicked off a little bit, but yeah, they they pushed it through. Well, I was listening well, to it. They, on, uh, they, they voted to agree to start negotiations on the bailout. So but right. Ju- but just before they voted, the IMF came out and said that the deal won't actually work unless there's a solid amount of debt relief in it. Well, no. So, because, I mean, if you look at the conditions of the bailout, I mean, there is no way an economy can grow out of that. Yeah. It's insane. Um, so, yes, there was a stormy session. I was listening to it live, in fact, on Radio 5 on oh, really? driving home last night. Yeah. Apparently Greek? the Speaker walked out. The, the Speaker <laughs> of the Greek Parliament walked out. Did and you see uh, one of the members of Parliament says, tearing oh, really? up the pieces of paper? That, Were yes. they? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, perhaps we should talk about that um, a little bit. Mm. But... Um, yeah, so this week we're going to talk to Jonas in a minute about uh, property. Jonas has written the cover feature, which is about investing in London. Obviously, London's had a, a few boom years, and you know, you'd, yeah. you'd be forgiven for thinking that uh, the best days were behind it. Not necessarily the case. We'll come on to that in a minute. And uh, a couple of other things Jonas has written uh, on some of the uh, budget changes uh, around the property sector. But, uh, I mean, let's focus on uh, this week's news. Uh, Graham, what have, uh, what's been going on in the uh, the world at large? Seven days. What, uh, mm, what have well, the last it, seven days brought us? Well, you know, it's been a geopolitical week, I think, John. You, we touched upon Greece already briefly. And then, obviously, um, there's been Chinese GDP figures. But also, you know, a big a big uh, piece of news in the world politics is the deal with Iran. Oh, yes. Uh, over their nuclear ambitions and reining them in a little bit. Uh, Whether they had any in the first place. Well, indeed, they would argue not. In terms of building a nuclear 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 program. The Iranians have always contended that their nuclear program is for uh, domestic energy production. Well, there's only one country that wouldn't agree with that. And they've Mm. uh, obviously been uh, strongly objecting to this deal, Israel and neighbour. But yeah, I mean, and there's obviously some some, uh, elements within the US that aren't particularly keen on doing any deals with Iran either. Uh, I mean, it's been the subject of sanctions for many years. But yeah, this is potentially revolutionary. Excusing the pun. <laughs> Potentially massive. There were some figures from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, saying that Iran's economy would be the size of Saudi Arabia's now if it hadn't been for the impact of sanctions. Mm-hmm. So for that country, it's no surprise that there have been people dancing in the streets to welcome this. Um, so if there are any hardliners derailing the deal, um, I would argue it's probably more likely to be from the US side. So Obama has got a bit of a job ahead of him selling this deal to yeah. uh, the US Congress. You know, it's not many years ago. That um, you had senators saying "bomb, bomb, bomb Iran." Yes, and of course Israel's voice is very strong within the US as well. So I mean, exactly you know, right. Their, their their position is not one to be taken lightly. They're not well, keen. 
Obama has vowed to use his presidential veto to get this one thing through. I think you get the impression if there's one thing he actually achieves between now and the end of his presidency, it's this. It's a good thing. I mean, you know, it it, it feels it has the kind of momentousness of something like, you know, Nixon's uh, deal with China, you know, the the opening up of Russia back in the uh, 80s, 90s. I mean, this feels big. Yeah. And I think even for the pragmatists within the policymakers, um, in terms of looking for stabilizing forces within that region, Iran is going to have been increasingly viewed as kind of one of the more stable and more predictable of the state actors within the region. So even for the people that, you know, don't have much love for the country, um, you know, I think there's probably an emerging pragmatism towards Iran and the role that it plays. It's a big country. You know, I've got friends who are of Iranian descent um, and they've been back there. And, you know, of course, it is subject to some slightly strange from our perspective, uh, religious uh, oversight. But nevertheless, there are other elements of it which are quite quite capitalist in nature. Yeah, and I went to Iran kind of eight, nine years ago. Um, and yeah, lots of sides of the society, particularly within Tehran, there's a big westernized kind of part of the society. They like the similar kinds of fashion and similar kind of things to what you see on British high streets. So it also, on the uh, company side of thing, opened up some interesting avenues for um, UK and, and Western companies to access that market. So another big market to go after. I mean, presumably mm. there's some talented people in that country as well. You know, companies from Iran that that, that we might start to see. You know, on the on the global stage, mm. like like we've seen from other countries as they've you know emerged from uh, sort of very developing status. So, I mean, this yeah, yeah this yeah. this feels good. And this feels good. Iran yeah. has the world's fourth largest proven um, oil reserve. Oh yeah, I forgot well. about that. Yeah. <laughs> Massive. I mean, that is potentially game changing for the global oil market as well. Um, yeah. If, if those reserves are freed up and and sanctions are lifted on on the sale of them, it's a huge actor. Yeah, I mean, the, you can, in the global petroleum, they've also market. got what about sixty five billion of assets frozen. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to those as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this yeah, this feels feels like it's uh, certainly a, a counterbalance to some of the, the sort of strife we're seeing in in Greece, for example, and mm. uh, obviously the, uh, the sort of slowdown in China. And uh, stop market problems. I say slow down in China. Seven percent again. Yeah, Graham. Surprise, surprise. We had a chuckle about that. We did. <laughs> China is aiming for seven percent GDP growth this year, and lo and behold, second quarter, seven percent growth. Doesn't Amazing. Feel, doesn't feel right. Mm, doesn't quite, does it? No. But I mean, <laughs> no. there, there is a there is some theory that, that actually a lot of this quarter's growth was boosted by the stock market rally. People, right. So people feeling a bit more flush because their shares were going up. So we could see it. I'm not saying I'm not saying I believe these figures and that they're definitely genuine, but I'm saying that there's a good chance they may have that the economy may have been boosted in recent months and that could that effect could disappear now. Oh, it's going to disappear very quickly because yeah. we I mean as we we spoke about last week, you know the stock market there lost thirty percent of its value in the course of about five days. Yeah. So you know a lot of that wealth effect I think is uh, it's going to disappear. Hmm. Um, it's uh, yeah I'm still troubled by that situation. Now, there was a bit of a bounce back uh, over a couple of days this week and then and then it all sort of fell out of bed again. A little yeah, bit. funny enough, the GDP figures sent the stock markets falling again. Is that I mean is that a coincidence or? It may be coincidence, it may be that people are thinking, oh, the stimulus that has been in place the last few months is working and it might get pulled back a bit. I, don't, I really don't know. Mm. As, as you know, China's incredibly difficult to call, really. You yeah, also had some strong words from BlackRock today criticising the government intervention in the market. Um, so, obviously, BlackRock, BlackRock, one of the world's biggest money managers, mm. if you start to lose those kind of investors, not good for your stock market. Yeah, I think that's that's been the, the consensus view on uh, on the government's intervention in the, yeah. uh, the stock market tumble. I mean, this is immature. 
They've created and, uh, a false market. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because you know I think that I read a really interesting piece, and I can't remember who wrote it now, and I do apologise to whoever did. Um, but uh, they said, you know, China, which seems so level-headed and everything else it seems to be doing, you know, the stock market starts to crash and it panics mm. and really panics in, 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 a, in a, an extraordinary way. I've never seen anything like it. No, it's incredible, really. Yeah, back to Iran. Yeah, it does feel like we needed a good geopolitical story to offset some of the bad ones that we kind of see from China and Greece. Do we got any more, more to say about Greece? Not really. Uh, just a bit, a bit more today. Post the vote last night, I think there's been some bridging finances now been forwarded to Greece, so that right. you know that the initial pressure is off. And and Mario Draghi's been having his um, press conference this afternoon um, for the, from the ECB, and he he has hinted at that there will be some within the talks now. Now that Greece has agreed, that there could be some uh, potential talk of debt relief. Right, um, and they've reopened the emergency liquidity assistance, yeah. haven't they, to Greece? So yeah. the, you know, the taps yeah. have been reopened a little bit. It's it's still a mess. But the, you know the uh, the but. scenario where Greece lost access to, to funding, you know, was pretty catastrophic. Mm. I mean, you know, you'd have people not being paid. You'd have you know uh, finding it difficult to import basic basic necessities. I mean, it was you know it, it was Armageddon really. Yeah, yeah. Financial Armageddon. Yeah. So. Yeah, something that needs to happen. I, I get the sense now that the, the finger pointing is now uh, actually spreading throughout. You know, the uh, more more stable members of the European bloc. You know, Germany and France, and all starting to blame each other for what's been going on. Or uh, yeah. you know, Angela Merkel was being criticised for heaping pressure on the Greeks or for intimidating the Greeks. I think they said. I mean, uh, yeah. I don't, Does it I don't feel like a harmonious. I don't think the EU comes out of this smelling of roses by any stretch. I think you know they've been seen to 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 have really sort of put put the pressure on Greece and kept the pressure on even when Greece was was really suffering. And especially these the expectations for growth in the Greek economy that are built into this package. You know, even the IMF has said you know these these are a stretch at best. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, so ambitious. you know, I, I know we long predicted it would be a fudge. I don't want to kind of be, use that stronger word, but I mean. You know, it's hard to see how Greece is going to live up to uh, this package, even if it kind of enacts the reforms as requested. It still might not be enough. Yeah. It's al- almost as if somebody wants them to fail, Ian. Oh, I wouldn't say that. We don't do conspiracies yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk interest rates, because uh, as soon as Greece seemed to be in the uh, the rearview mirror, the chatter started about interest rate rise again, uh, helped along by Bank of England Governor Mark Carney's appearance at the Treasury Select Committee. Indeed, uh, and Janet Yellen's appearance in front of senators and, and legislators in the US as well. Yep. So the, you know, the, the chatter's rising, I think. Uh, so rates, rate rise are on the way then? Apparently. Bang but, on for this year? Yeah. We've been but here we've, before, haven't we? have heard that before. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. And um, as, as you wrote, John, we had kind of US retail sales that slipped. Mm. They were predicted to rise. They actually shrank. And we had some kind of UK economic data that was a bit patchy. Well, un- unemployment. Uh, mm. unemployment. Unemployment rose again. Rose, but also wages rose as well. So people have been kind of trying to work out that puzzle. And that's um, a correlation that, that's flipped completely. Mm. For, for, for a long, long time, we've had, we've had unemployment falling, but wages not growing. And that suddenly the, the, the correlation is flipped. And yeah. it could be this uh, productivity conundrum, you know, uh, unwinding itself. Uh, but it's quite early to say. But we also had inflation nipping down again back to zero. Zero, I think yep. it was. Uh, the last, May, was that? May's figures or June's uh, figures? It was June. Which, June, was it? Okay. Yeah. And with this uh, Iran oil flooding onto the market, you know, that's keeping the oil price down. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, there's, I mean, there's not really, I mean, the wage pressure... Uh, the rising wages are the argument that they're giving the un- the employment figures. They're the arguments that Yellen and, and Carney are, re- uh, are reading out to, to suggest that you know 
rate rises are mm. are on the way. But but you know, it doesn't feel like there's any other pressure that, that that's really behind that. And you know, my my view, my take on this is that well, you know, the whole forward guidance thing. I mean, we've been kind of hearing this for a while. Yeah, rate rises around the corner, around the corner. Mm. Earlier in the year, you know, we we thought that they were on the way, and and the house builders got hit, which you you obviously paid attention to at that point. Yeah, and it's happened again. Yeah, I mean, I, part of the part of the thing here is I think that inflation to some extent has been driven by external factors like oil prices. Now, later this year, those factors will fall out of the equation, so you'll see inflation tick up again. Yeah, but it's, but it's still miles away from yeah, yeah anything that we oh, need yeah, to worry yeah. about. Two two percent target, miles away. Well, from exactly. That. Yes, I, I can't see interest rates going up in the UK at least for another year. So going back to the house builders, which I've mm. mentioned in my, my editorial, which you cover, Jonas. Yeah. This little little fall that we've seen this week as a result of this latest round of speculation on interest rate rises, not too bothered. No, no. I mean, there, there's various aspects. I mean, the house builders are very much like the property scene is um, deeply and strictly correlated with um, economic growth. If the economy is hand- healthy, house builders will be okay, especially since the demand supply imbalance it's interesting because during the recession uh when everyone was hit um the demand for housing didn't go away because people were growing up leaving mm. home etc cetera, etc cetera. now that uh, the, the economy is back on its feet that demand is still there and in fact there's a backlog but the house builders just can't hope to cover that gap yeah so you actually wrote a piece this week on uh one potential measure which could alleviate some of the pressure on, on housing stock, which was the uh, measures around brownfield uh, planning. Yeah. The trouble is that local authorities have got a problem because apart from local interests that preclude you building houses next door to people who don't want them there, there's also the, the planning process which is suffering because planning authority, uh, the planning departments are severely under-resourced. Mm. They, they can't process more anyway. So finding them for not clearing planning applications in time is not going to sort it out. There's a suggestion that house builders or the government could actually create some sort of funding to help this along its way. Uh, it doesn't doesn't sound like a good idea as far as house builders are concerned, but if it means that they can get a, a planning process cleared in six months instead of six years, it will certainly... Um, to their advantage do they do they want to increase the supply or does the you know the status quo whereby you know supply can be limited because of the planning constraints you know it kind of helps them with pricing i mean uh, what do they want what would they prefer well it's it's a bit naughty because um new house build doesn't dictate prices what the house builders do is um they basically track what's happening in the already built market so if um already built houses are going up 10 percent a year they'll be quite happy to shove up new build prices for 8% by 8%. Um, and the worry is for them is that if they doubled production, which they obviously couldn't, the supply-demand imbalance would be cured, and so obviously upward pressure on prices would diminish. Mm. Uh, and basically they, they don't want to um, sell price, uh, houses for level prices, especially at a time when cost inflation mainly uh, bricklayers and people like that, they're, they're going up 3 4% a year. Well, that sounds like a case for uh, improving the imp- apprentice schemes of the, uh, of the UK. And I know some of the mm-hmm. building, for building companies are involved in this kind of thing, but you know, we, we're often you know, talking about you know, how, how poor the prospects are for the young, and yet we've got this great big industry that's lacking skills. Yeah. <laughs> it's a no-brainer, yeah. surely. Well, exactly. I mean, they've tried to sort of make bricklaying and surveying and things like that a little bit more sexy, um, rather than sort of going into tech. But you know, you're talking sort of two, three, four, five hundred 
apprenticeships when you need two, three, four, five thousand. Yeah. So that side of things will improve over time, but not yet. Well, I have to say, you know, if you don't think building control or engineering is sexy, I spent four thousand pounds so far on my loft conversion. I haven't laid a brick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's extraordinary, yeah. extraordinary. Uh, yeah, I think you know, good business to get in. I do sometimes wish I could rewind my life and uh, go what? into higher yeah. building. It's uh, yeah, or, or uh, installing boilers. That's quite yeah, well, that's you, not cheap. You can go to university and get a two-two in English with media studies, or you can take a, an apprenticeship and become a plumber. Yeah, yeah. I know what I'd be advising my kids to do. Mm, quite. Plumbing girls. Yeah. <laughs> well, girl plumbers, who cares? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, okay, housing. We'll come back to London in uh, in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, while we're on the subject of housing, you, you wrote the piece on the uh, buy-to-let changes in the yeah. budget because yeah. that, that has potentially nasty tax implications uh, for buy-to-let landlords. Yes. Uh, now, is this, I mean, presumably designed to put the brake on the, uh, on the buy-to-let market. I think it's no. I think it's a, a tactic designed to raise money. That's it. Yeah. So that so they don't care about the the moral the philosophical argument about you know ha- new housing going to to, to, to well, landlords rather than owners. They haven't really thought it through. If they think that by making it less attractive to become a landlord, you're going to restrict the number of rental properties, and that's going to mess up the system even more. Mm. Okay, it's a long time coming, but I suppose if you're getting a six five. Nine, eleven depends where you invest in interest rate or yield. Having that trimmed a little bit is not going to really hurt. Yeah, and I, th- I think your suggestion was that you know if landlords are whacked by a little bit of extra tax, they'll simply just put their their rent up. Yeah, I mean it's almost a collective judgment. You know, obviously if if one landlord puts his prices at his rental up, um, all the others will follow. So yeah, it's a it's a done deal. It's arguable how much the market will take. But uh, once you percolate all the other bits and pieces, I mean, landlords could set up companies, private companies, um, and in that case, they wouldn't have to pay interest rate charges, would be tax exempt or tax relievable. But obviously, setting up a company is tricky. But then there's other tax implications of that around capital gains, that kind of thing as well. Well, yeah, if you if you go from 12 properties that you own and shove them into a company, you could incur capital gains tax, yes. Yeah which is messy. Sounds complicated. Like We've written about this lots mm, of times before. Yeah. So uh, if you go back through our archive, I'm sure you'll find something that will help you out to, uh, <laughs> to navigate this, this minefield. You've put some case studies together or you, you've dug up some case studies yeah, to yeah. show how, you manage, how the tax affects you, which I think, think that's quite useful if you're in a, a landlord in that situation. I think if you're a low income, well, some people don't have any income at all apart from, say, a pension or a uh, state pension. And if they've got one little flat somewhere, it won't affect them. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that sounds interesting in the context of the reforms to the pension landscape. And we saw some, we saw some figures around that this week, which I thought were quite interesting, the, uh, the withdrawals uh, from uh, pensions, the one billion worth of withdrawals, the 800 million uh, that have come out of income drawdown arrangements. So, I mean, it does sound like they're starting to filter through those, those changes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as expected, um, income drawdown is taking a bigger and bigger share of the market away from annuities. Um, so in the past, back in 2012, I think when annuities are in their prime, they would take by the vast majority of the money that was going into income as opposed to people just taking it as cash. Yep. Um, but now income drawdown taking an increasing amount of that. So it's great as predicted for all those players that are strong in that market. And what are the withdrawals going into? The billion of withdrawals? I mean, is this, is this people going out buying Lamborghinis? Or well, is no. this people buying buy-select properties? 
Well, it's quite small amounts of money, so it's probably a lot of its cash. Because, I mean, right. still for these reforms now, people, like the average defined contribution pension part of retirement is quite small. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about these reforms is you've got to think 20, 30 years down the line, once the pension parts get big enough that you can do something a bit more interesting with it, with them. And, uh, yeah, we, we've seen a lot of income drawdown too. But uh, I would say a lot of the cash is at the smaller end. If you look at the figures, it suggests that, you know, it's a lot of people saying, well, it's not really much point. I might as well take it as cash. Yeah. So yeah. not quite a Lamborghini, perhaps. No. A second-hand car. Yeah, the key attraction with um, income drawdown is that also when you die, uh, you can pass it on Absolutely. to your family, whereas an annuity just goes up in smoke. Yeah, or pays for other people's annuities who've lived a little bit longer. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Ian, uh, before we, uh, we turn to the cover feature, kind of come back to you, Jonas, mm. uh, what's going on in, in companies? A bit quieter this week. Yeah, it was a quiet week. Um, um, kind of interesting things. I mean... Uh, international Personal Finance, which is one of yours, the uh, the international doorstep lender, has been having a bit of a hard time. Yeah, they got hit in Poland. Um, and we're talking before about credit. In, in Poland, uh, they've decided the politicians in the, in the lower chamber have voted to put kind of further caps on the interest rates that can be charged by uh, doorstep lenders. Um, so they've gone further than any of the regulators have here in the UK. The policymakers, I uh, should say, here in the UK have gone. Um, and that's really hit international personal finance. And so, yeah, the UK is a much better place to be lending to people yeah. uh, with kind of subprime uh, credit ratings. Well, I mean, this comes actually back to the whole interest rate story mm, exactly. because, you know, reading your piece, I thought it was fascinating. But I hadn't really cottoned on. I hadn't clocked how quickly personal household debt was rising in the UK. Yeah, they think it's the highest it's the highest for five years at the moment on, on the data. And it's, yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And, and companies such as SNU um, have really benefited from that. And, and I mentioned a company called Non-Standard Finance. Which is listeners might, yeah, it's, it's the new thing that was kind of set up to buy smaller uh, consumer credit players. Um, and it bought um, SNU's Consumer Finance Division Loans at Home for You. Um, and it's looking to kind of build through similar acquisitions. Yeah, it's a really interesting market. It's obviously, the companies are really benefiting from it. But, you know, as for what it says about the strength or otherwise of the UK economic recovery, if it's built on a lot of bad household debt, is yeah. another thing. So, And that, and that would, uh, you know, lead you to the logical conclusion that if you put interest rates up, then there's going to be a lot of fallout if we are living in a dense fueled economy. Especially, yeah, exactly so. I would just say for these companies, they obviously stress test the growth of interest rates. Um, and as you kind of argued in your editorial, um, it's hard to see them growing fast when they start to grow interest rates. Yes, uh, So I think these companies are probably, um, you know, reasonably robust in terms of, um, you know, short to medium term um, modest rises in interest rates. Mm. Uh, but as we know, in the financial crisis, you know, when it goes wrong, it goes really wrong in terms of like building up a large amount of debt within an economy. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I noticed there were some figures from the CML today where they cancelled mortgage lenders. Uh, mortgage lending has skyrocketed since the budget. Yeah, gross lending has really taken off. It's probably not wise to put too much on that because that's gross lending and it's also not seasonally adjusted. So it could just be uh, a post-election relief boom. But we kind of expected the uh, the election result well, yeah. we didn't expect the election result. I think yeah. nobody expected the election result. Um, but uh, I think we expected, you know, once it was all over... The results the, of know, the election result, yeah. W- then there would be some thawing of the, ha- the, uh, the housing exactly, mortgage yeah. market. And I think, you know, the, the figures kind of back that view up. Yeah. It's interesting because in the first three months of the year, when you think things would be a bit edgy, um, construction or new build um, rose significantly. Mm-hmm. So 
although you know I, I suppose the newspapers said you know we're in for a sticky tricky time the house builders were built busy building yeah no i mean you know my, my own view I, I moved houses i probably told you a million times before in march <laughs> uh you know there's virtually nothing on the market till then no. uh and yeah, we got lucky we found somewhere we managed to get it all through in the end and you know actually but not a lot was shifting but you know no. I've, i i being the idiot that i am still go back to right move and see what's uh what's coming out to make sure i've not made a foolish error which yeah, uh which i don't seem right. to have done but everything's sold and there's not a lot of yeah. second hand supply coming onto the market no that's been, absolutely right uh new build prices are astronomical i would yeah. say for what they are it's, it's amazing okay um so yeah consumer debt lovely lots of that keeps the economy moving along don't put up interest rates it will have a, have a disastrous effect i'm sure um talking of uh spending money Supergroup had an interesting week they've uh We've been brave on that one because we kind of looked like we got it horribly wrong when we tipped that, and uh, it's come good. Yeah, it had a really good week. I mean, I think after a sluggish first half, um, it really kind of roared back. It's one of those cases of blame the weather, man. Um, warm weather hit the sales of autumn winter clothing, but then some aggressive promotional activity in the second half um, brought the figures back. Uh, yeah, and, and it set its sights for a return to the US. It's also got a new clothing collection that's going to be modelled by British actor Idris Elba, oh, a.k.a. Idris. Stringer Bell. Stringer Bell. Wire. Well, no, I think that's his did, new gig. He designed it. He designed the collection, according to this piece. Oh, he designed yeah, it. His oh, design okay. skills. I Idris Elba's design skills. Not his acting skills. He's a multi-talented man. Skills. He's also Word a DJ, so he's got right? many different skills. I like, I like Idris Elba. You can't, you, can't, you can't knock Idris Elba. Yeah, but, you right. know, Supergroup, we're still, we're still keen on that. Mm. Conviviality, I thought, was quite interesting. I like this. It's bargain booze, yeah. Graham, you're going to a wine tasting, I hear. Conviviality sent me an invitation to a wine tasting, yeah, in, in a couple of weeks' time with their master of wine, apparently. I don't want to, you know, disrespect conviviality retail anyway, but I did not expect a bargain off-license group to have a master of wine. Well, no, well, Ian, they have wine Ian, rack as well. Ian oh, made they? a good I point. Think, yeah. Okay. I think, I think they may have some. Yeah, and then that's part of their growth story is that um, they've got a couple of different brands. Um, so their franchisees can open up other kind of brands within the same right. area. Yeah, so, you know, that probably makes more sense that they have a master of wine. Hmm. Um, it's not yeah. just three pounds, it's three bottles of wine for ten pounds. The bargain booze, three for a tenner. Yeah, job. all right, That'd okay. Well, all right, you well, know, more still going to be good stuff. Could be more good night out. More to conviviality than meets the eye. They're suspended at the moment, aren't they? They're about to buy something quite big. So I think uh, are they still suspended as we uh, as we go to air? They were suspended yes. at the time, right? Oh, uh, yeah, uh, I, haven't che- I haven't checked today. But nothing, nothing wrong with the company there. That's that's a technical matter. Yeah, it's because it? they're so, going to do something that may constitute reverse takeover of right. Matthew Clark, which is uh, half owned by Punch Taverns under the stock market rules. They have to suspend yeah. their shares, which is a wholesaler, which is interesting. Mm. Okay, technical matter. We still like that one. Definitely. Okay, let's talk London. Who doesn't love London? Well, exactly. <laughs> um, but we're specifically talking property. And mm. so, you know, we've had some yeah, astronomical rises in property values, certainly on the residential side of things in London. Uh, as I said earlier, you'd be forgiven for thinking it was game over, but you don't think so, Jonas? No, well, it's, I mean, it's an enormous market because, I mean, there's residential, commercial, office, retail. Stick your finger in and just say, well, retail for argument's sake, um, especially in the West End, where most House, uh, most properties are, are listed or restricted. You can't just knock them down. So there's a very restricted supply. Um, tenants don't want to move out, so they're quite happy to punch up the rent. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got Crossrail coming in, all-night tube trains, 
uh, it's just a gravy train at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, tourism here is absolutely huge. Yeah. I mean, we only have to walk out the door into uh, to <laughs> Borough Market. I mean, if you can, can't move these yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. You yeah. don't get any lunch. It forces to go up to the canteen, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is a health yeah. hazard. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's that side. The commercial side, well, um, you know, big slabs, big warehouses. These are, are really starting to move on because consumers have changed their habits. Uh, they want to sort of click on the computer, order something, and have it delivered at home within an hour. So you've got to have a massive warehouse inside the M25 um, full of stuff. Yep. Um, and that's really driving the market for big blocks. So we, so we like things like Tritex Big Box REIT, which is in that space. Yeah, um, um, I can't think of the other one, Mark. Um, yeah, the, the, there's a couple that are really moving into that area. Yeah. Funnily enough, I've, I've actually bought something, for the, one of the first times I bought something off the internet, uh, mm. off eBay, in fact, and I'm picking it up in, Ar- in, uh, in an Argos, uh, yeah. up in Cheapside, which, which I think is quite interesting, the way the interplay between the big distribution and actually some of these online uh, retail sites uh, and the, you know, the actual physical high street presence. So, I mean, I don't even think that's going away, even though it's perhaps not, not what it was. And actually, you, you talked about Shaftesbury in there. Mm. Uh, Shaftesbury being the the West End uh, property group that owns Chinatown, Seven Dials, Covent yeah. Garden. Um, I mean that's fascinating because that's you know that's retail at, at the upper scale. And you didn't Ian? You went out and did the Shaftesbury Walk recently. Yeah, I did the Shaftesbury Walk um, with uh, Stephen Sha- Wilmot. Have you done the Shaftesbury Walk? Yeah, I'm going on another one in September. I've done the Shaftesbury. We've all <laughs> yeah. done the Shaftesbury Walk. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, was that your first time? It was my first time. <laughs> it was quite a walk. I had a video camera as well, so I don't think I managed to take it in in quite the way. But the reason us journalists are always invited to go and do the Shaftesbury Walk uh, is because, you know, when you see what they've got, you realise the value of it. And I think it's been a buy for us mm. pretty much forever. And you see the potential that. that they see in buildings. That's obviously their skill. And they've got a property just on the right by Chinatown, mm. which is kind of a mixture of um, little shops and a car park at the moment. Um, and they're going to kind of transform that and kind of create a lot more floor space. Uh, you know, so it's all about their kind of vision for developing things within that area. But this goes back to what you're saying about the lack of supply in the West End. You've got to reconfigure the buildings a bit more cleverly. Yeah, I mean, Shaftesbury works very closely with the local council and they say uh, in, in sort of broad terms, you know, if you want planning consent to do this, it would help if you, you know, pedestrianise the street or put some nice lamps up and things like that. It's quite interesting because there's a, a Chinese, a Hong Kong investor, I can't remember his name, He's just put out um, an, a tender offer to all the shareholders for 9% of Shaftesbury. He already owns about 3%, but the tender offer price is below the share price, so it'll probably go nowhere. Mm. But he it's obviously... A, it's a first well, early probing move. Yeah, it's well, be interesting I think you know, Shaftesbury's worth about £2.8 and he's worth considerably less than that, so yeah, it might not that. go anywhere. Yeah, okay. I mean, Charlesby's a fascinating company. I mean, I, yeah, as I said, we've always been a big fan of that. Residential, you know, you'd think the game is up there, but but the, the, the trend you pointed to that I thought was fascinating was, you know, the, the, the uh, rise of high-rise residential. And we're seeing some of that at Canary Wharf at the moment. Some big high-rise residential developments taking place there. Yeah, there's one in Elephant Castle as well. Um, and I think it'll have to continue. There's some figures out from Telford, which is a relatively small house builder, but... Um, They've got uh, a development pipeline. They build relatively what they call affordable or more affordable house uh, flats in East London. Um, Stratford. 
Yeah. Yeah, know it well. Yeah, she you know it well. I, well. I live in East London, yeah, and you can just, if you drive north from the Blackwall Tunnel, you just look at each side of the road and where before it was just like industrial wasteland or whatever. I mean, just the flats are going up all the time. There's yeah. a huge amount from Stratford, and you pointed out kind of Bethnal Green yeah. Road. You know, Hackney. And and the, the Brownfield uh, legislation that was announced last week or earlier this week, uh, that that will have a significant effect as well. I mean, Telford, the sales for the year to March 2016 are going to be three and a half times larger than last year. Wow, which is huge. Now, is this is this a continuation of the trend for uh, overseas investors coming into the UK? It's about a third, 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 a third overseas investors, a third UK investors, and a third who actually want to live there. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's an interesting point. I, you know, I think that there has been talk that this this trend will fizzle out. Um, but you know, the UK remains a safe haven. UK yeah. property re- remains a safe haven, certainly compared to some other assets that we can talk about. I don't see it coming to an end. No, it won't fizzle out. I think it'll spread out because obviously, you know, you can't buy a flat in the West End unless you've, you're rich. So you move out, and obviously, as infrastructure improves, transport improves, you know, you, you're going to end up living 15 miles out of London but getting in in 15 minutes on a new crossrail or whatever. Yeah, crossrail's nice. massive there. It's massively important, isn't it? Stratford yeah. will be on that. Yeah, you know. absolutely huge. Mm. But it goes out nearly uh, sort of halfway to me. Uh, mm. It goes up yeah. to Shenfield, which is not, not far uh, south. No. Southwest, in fact, of, yeah, uh, of well, Rhyme. Well, Shenfield's got good line anyway, but I mean, you go to somewhere like... Abby, Are you sure about that? Well, relatively. <laughs> used to be. I don't think the punters of Greater Anglia would, uh, <laughs> would agree. Would they, Graham? No. <laughs> oh, it used to be all right when I lived in... Uh, Not these days, Jonas. Not sorry. these days. No, Graham and, I, Graham and I enjoyed it. Oh, Endure well. that line. It's mm. terrible. But Crossrail will go to Abbey Wood, which, um, even if you like Abbey Wood, you have to admit it's, it's quite a depressed area. You can buy houses in Abbey Wood for 180,000, and that's where Crossrail will terminate. And these are the these are the kind of places you're thinking. Well, if you're an aspiring buyer to let landlord, can't afford some of the more salubrious postcodes, yeah, this is where you should be looking. Where where the transport changing transport infrastructure can transform the investment case. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Okay, and of course the the, uh, the there's one last group which I think is really interesting. Uh, students. I yeah. mean, this is this is a fascinating area. I mean, there's a Actually, out in East East London, sort of just past Liverpool Street, there's a huge student block there. I mean, these things, these things, you know, these are better than most people's flats these days. But yeah. but again, um, some of the changes to the to the uh, the student intake rules are really driving the case here, and there's ways you can play it as well. Yeah. Well, the caps come off. Um, I think it's from later this year or next year, in entirely. In terms of foreign students, being yep. able to come to the UK. Um, I've been around a couple of the the new ones, and it's a bit like a hotel, really. Because there's a bar, uh, canteen, restaurant, leisure areas, cinema, um, and all the students have uh, their own cooking facilities. They're um, induction cookers, so they can't set fire to themselves. And they've got they have um, laundry services. So if you're a sort of a, a 19 year old foreign student and you don't know where you are, you can actually stay in these places without actually wandering out to the streets of Mile End and getting killed. They're uh, not that by bad. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, led astray. Led astray, yeah, that yeah. by happen. me. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, and and they're prepared to pay big bucks 
Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, I mean, as I said, they're lovely. I've seen them. It's uh, yeah. amazing. My student gigs <laughs> when I was at university were allegedly, allegedly uh, based on the design of a Swedish prison. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. No, that's not not not, not the uh, first time I've heard that about student digs. Yeah, I think I think the it's halls one of, of residence. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm not sure it's true. I think it's one of those. They were uh, pretty grim, though, weren't they? They were grim. They were grim. I think everybody likes to think they stayed in a, a Swedish prison as a student. But it was <laughs> it was pretty horrific. But so uh, no, I mean it's a whole different if it's a whole different ball game now. And there's ways you can play this trend. So we've got Unite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's there's loads of them springing up. GCP and, student living. Yeah, really quite interesting. You know, Unite had a bit of a difficult time when it started out, but I think the the wind has turned in its favour. And I think you know. Oh, very much so. I mean, obviously at that time financing was always going to be a problem because banks weren't prepared to lend anybody any money on a speculative basis. There there were worries about. I mean, you know, because of the politics involved. You know, there were suggestions that if the right wing element had their way, there wouldn't be any foreign students or only a very few. Um, but obviously it's gone the other way now. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, as you say, they pay more. Yeah, exactly. That's what we want. Yeah, big business. And, and the rest, and, uh, the yeah. rest of us can uh, we can send our children to become plumbers and builders, <laughs> and everybody be, everybody's happy. Exactly. Lovely. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you, Joe. This is a re- it's actually a really fascinating feature, and it's oh, you know, I think yeah. the way it's put together, you you really get a feel for the way London's changing. Yeah. And it's it's, it's just amazing, and it's very, changed very much uh, so, yeah. significantly. Yeah, in the last few years, even you know. Amazing. Thank you very much, Jonas. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway, thank you very much for listening. There's obviously plenty more in the magazine this week. We talked about consumer debt. Simon's, uh, Simon Thompson has written his column this week about car sales, which are obviously uh, a big, big factor in that. Um, car markets uh, motoring along. Motor uh, finance doing motor incredibly finance. well. SNU, which I mentioned earlier. Absolute, massive business. Absolutely huge. So, yeah, if the car dealers are looking Gone. good too, Simon's having a look yeah. at that. We've got a couple of our uh, sort of uh, no-thought uh, portfolios in there. We And James Norris has updated his high-yield portfolio, which is the ancient Investors Chronicle high-yield system which actually seems to be working. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of personal finance stuff in the magazine this week. Uh, we had a couple of reader requests this week uh, to, to go into more detail about the new dividend tax changes that were announced in the summer budget. Uh, we've put a big piece together on that, but I'm sure they will talk about that on their podcast this week. Um, anyway, there you go. Capital Returns is the uh, the cover feature. A lovely picture of St. Paul's, one of my favourite buildings. £4.50, all good news agents, and uh, we will chat again next week. Thank you very much. Goodbye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.